Japan, Pokemon, esports, and a special guest. This episode of Octal FM really ticks all our boxes. Join us as we chat with our pal Tom about the competitive Pokemon trading card game scene in Japan. Hello and welcome to another episode of Optal FM. I'm Sefran. And I'm Gelada. And today we've joined by a guest, a returning guest, in fact. And also, Tom, were you possibly the first guest that we had? I think so. I think I remember being given that great honour uh, <laughs> around about two years ago. Oh, you're too kind. It has been two years and it's amazing how quickly that's gone. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, we're joined by Tom, modest man. And he joined us in episode 10, all the way back uh, in one of our first episodes where we discussed the competitive side of League of Legends and MOBAs Mm. in general. And today, you're joining us for another topic on competitive gaming, but a very, very different style today, which is... Which is the Pokemon trading card game. Now, we have talked about competitive Pokemon already on the show uh, when we did a collaboration episode with Marty in episode 21. Uh, but we focused very heavily in that episode on the video game side of things, whereas mm. today it is exclusively discussing the cra- trading card game. Yeah, I think she sort of touched on it a little bit and said, you know, there's that whole side as well. Um, but particularly in the UK, I think the, the the Pokemon like core game series, I mean, there's not a lot of room for competitive like there's not a lot going on in the competitive space in pokemon in general in the uk relatively speaking and so of all the things that's going to be like the most popular and the most you know going on it's going to be the core game right and not the trading card game whereas for for you tom what we're going to talk about as we as we go through the episode is actually that you've got a lot of experience playing the trading card game in japan and which is really interesting because it's so different and we'll sort of come on to that but one of the things that we thought might be worthwhile quickly doing was maybe just like defining what the game was because i mean everyone's aware of what the pokemon brand is but maybe the card game you've just heard of it in passing so do you want to quickly give us a rundown of what the game consists of Yes, yeah, so the Pokemon trading card game is the same familiar Pokemon brand just translated into playing cards. So you have a deck of 60 cards and some of them are Pokemon, some of them are items you can use to power up your Pokemon and some of them are energy cards that you use to fuel your attacks and abilities that you're going to use. It's really quite simple compared to a lot of other trading card games and competitive card games, but there's a pretty advanced competitive scene, uh, especially in Japan and also in America, but not so much over here in the UK. And one of the things that I find super interesting about the Pokemon trading card game is just how long it's been running, because it's been around pretty much for as long as the Pokemon franchise as a whole has been, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I personally, I think we all collected some pokemon cards back in the day and <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they're in all of our grandparents attics or something <laughs> somewhere now. in a box um, in a dusty box <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i but uh i got into the game again uh, about a year and a half ago in japan 
And it was just a case of I was in a convenience store somewhere and I saw a pack of Pokemon cards and I thought, oh, I'll open a pack and see if I get something shiny or some familiar Pokemon that I like. And then just slowly became addicted to the <laughs> process of opening packs and seeing all these familiar characters that I remember from the Pokemon anime and the video games. Um, and before I knew it, I was waist deep in competitive Pokemon <laughs> over in Japan. And it's interesting that we are discussing this card game as well, because me and you, Tom, have a history of card games already, which I think we really touched on the episode before. We used to play competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! together. That's and right. it's incredible how different those two games are, despite both being competitive trading card games. Oh, yeah, incredibly different, which became very clear to me when I tried to introduce one of my friends who has no knowledge in card games whatsoever to both Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! at the same time. Um, and we were able to have a game of Pokemon within 10 minutes of brief explanation, mm -hmm. whereas when we attempted to have a nice casual game of Yu-Gi-Oh!, uh, I mean, we were stopping every two or three minutes to consult a manual and it, it didn't really progress. So it's, the games are very different in terms of the entry requirements, uh, but also the, the general atmosphere surrounding the game and the communities. Yeah, I was going to say that, like, I think that the Pokemon trading card game does that wonderful job of any of literally any game any competitive game of being you know relatively easy to understand but still having that you know challenge challenging to master you know that classic cliche and i think that so often competitive games and trading card games or collectible card games can be quite difficult to pick up and play but because pokemon is pokemon right like it is designed to be easy to pick up but i guess a thing to take away from this episode if you're listening to this is that that doesn't mean that there isn't some depth to it and there isn't a sort of vibrant community and history and sort of stuff going on within this this competitive game. And what I love the most about, I think, the Pokemon card game above all other card games is that you don't have to be into card games to get into it because if you're just into Pokemon, chances mm. are you'll fall in love with it as well. So right. you, you've got more of an incentive to try and break past that initial sort of like yeah. confusion barrier of, of a card game's rules, which in itself are relatively simple by comparison to other card games. But you've got even more easing into it right. with the Pokemon franchise. That combination right, of those two things makes it really, yeah. really easy to get into compared to something like Magic, for example, where you have no grounding for what it is and what well, the, the world and the universe is that magic right. is set within was exactly i mean let's pretty much everyone is aware of pokemon and, and like you know yeah. at least has a couple of pokemon they know by name you know even if it's just pikachu uh you know it's still like you say grounded in something you're already aware of mm. uh, and one of the things that you mentioned to us tom whilst we were doing some of the prep work for this is the difference in accessibility in the game from between the japanese market and also then the more traditional Western market that we've been in the UK and in the US and in Europe, etc. As I, I mentioned, I initially got into the Pokemon trading card game over in Japan just by opening some cards and one thing led to another. But when I came back over to the UK, I tried to do the same thing. I tried to go to my local game shop and gather some of my friends and I was telling everybody, look, I've been playing this Pokemon trading card game in Japan. It's so much fun. Let's do it over here. And much to my surprise, I went to buy a pack just as I had done in Japan and realized the price <laughs> was four or five times more expensive than mm. it would be. Um, you know, over in Japan, you can buy a booster pack for, well, between 150 to 130 yen. So, you know, around about one pound 
for us in the UK. And in the UK, you're looking at starting from four pounds for a booster pack. Wow. For essentially the same product, you get more cards in the Western packs, but you get exactly the same ratio of rare cards, the powerful cards, the exclusive cards. So from a collector's standpoint, you're just dealing with something that's around about four times more Mm. expensive to, to play. That's crazy. And one of the other things that I think makes it a little bit more accessible, at least in Japan than the West, which is saying something in the fact it's probably the most accessible trading card game in the West as well, is also where you can access it. You're not exclusively having to go to either like specific toy shops or Mm. hobby shops. You know, you can kind of, you just said it yourself and then you went to a convenience store in Japan and you just picked up some cards. That's right. Yeah. Um, I went to the convenience store and they have you know, a whole section dedicated to, in fairness, not just the Pokemon trading card game, but mm. various trading card games that are extremely popular in Japan. So trading card games themselves are more accessible as a whole, but then specifically Pokemon. For a franchise with such fame throughout the world, for such a, a massive brand, a massive product, it's involved in all these different areas of media and everyday life you know you're seeing pokemon collaborations in tv commercials for breakfast cereals and this Mm. that and the other and it seems like anything you buy in japan especially recently comes with a little pokemon related knickknack whether it's like a (laughs) key ring or some stickers or something and a lot of times that's going to be a pokemon card as well or uh, a pack or something that you can redeem online to get online packs and all sorts of things so you're really having Pokemon thrust upon you from all directions. It's really just sort of then that the general popularity is higher, right? And would you say that that is, I, I guess we've talked a lot about Japan on the show, which is great. It's actually kind of turning into a common theme, which is quite cool. And it sort of feels like, you know, from my from my limited experience as well, you know, that's just Japan, isn't it? Like, it's like this kind of media and, you know, franchises and brands in the same way that sort of in the West, you might draw comparison to maybe Disney a little bit more or something like that. You know, these things are just massively popular for a massive number of people. Whereas here you would have to go to a water, you know, a bookshop for the trading card game. But in, in Japan, it's like a convenience store, you know, and that's just such a, it's just so much more prevalent, I guess, in, in Japan. And, and that really overall makes it more accessible, which makes the competitive scene more accessible as well by sort of just osmosis, essentially. Yeah, you really get a lot of, you get a double whammy in essence because you have massive popularity among children for the Pokemon franchise, probably as popular as anything else in that preschool to elementary school right. age range. But then you also have the competitive scene which is dominated by university age students or high school students Mm. and then a lot of parents but also just people working working adults coming straight from work to to the hobby shop to take part in in a tournament or something like that so almost every demographic is represented in the pokemon scene over in japan uh whereas when i was trying to play over here in the uk it was basically exactly the same one demographic the kind of 16 to 25 age range of high school students college students university students yeah and and then that that's about it yeah very different and one of the things that really helps with that other than the ubiquity of the franchise itself is also the pricing strategy as well in that you said already the packs are almost basically the same but for a quarter of the price but they also have access to things like structure decks which are you know a pre- 
constructed deck of cards which you can take out of the box and start playing with immediately, which are almost competitively viable on the highest level at such a cheap price. She said that the equipment's like $5, so what, that'd be like £4 for us, right? That's right. You have these starter decks, but starter decks in trading card games aren't a new idea. They Mm. exist in all trading card games and in Pokemon in the West as well. But the common theme among them is their complete lack of competitive viability. Um, Maybe you buy these decks because they have one or two cards that you're trying to collect, um, but they don't have much of a use on their own as a deck. Whereas these starter decks, I think they're called GX Battle Decks over in Japan, yeah, around about £4. And you're getting a deck that's tournament ready, advertised as tournament ready, but also actually tournament ready, Mm. where you can take it out of the box and use it as is without making any changes whatsoever. And it will also have those valuable cards, cards that might cost you the same price as the deck itself. I remember some of them. The decks are separated by elements, which is the types in the game. So fire, water, grass, that kind of thing. Um, and mm. each one will have like a the cover card for each respective starter deck will be like the the lead Pokemon in that deck. And one of them, the steel one, was a Pokemon Metagross GX, which itself was worth more than the structure deck it, itself. So you're you're getting value for and there's two copies yeah. in the deck. So you're you're getting double value just for buying this product. But then it's also ready to go as is, and it contains tons of staples that you're going to need for every mm. deck you might want to build. Um, and on top of that, the the shops that are selling these decks are also running tournaments, these GX mm. Battle Decks tournaments. So people are going in same day, buying one of these decks and entering a tournament with a bunch of other people yeah. who have bought these decks. And they're playing. And obviously that makes the tournament even more fun because the decks are balanced against each other. So you've got this really healthy competitive balance and it's taking place not with these people who have been studying the game for years and years and dedicating all these hours to it, but people who have just walked in and said, I want to get into the Pokemon card game, they're being thrown into engaging competitive Pokemon on day one. So we've got this the sort of accessibility in terms of it being very cheap to get into compared to over here. There's sort of different products available and it's very much tailored towards making it easy to kind of get started in this in the competitive scene. What kind of impact is that then having on the competitive scene? You know, what is it what does it look like and what has happened particularly recently? I know we before we started recording, you were talking about sort of how popular it's been recently. You know, what what is what is going on in, in Japan, if that makes sense? Yeah, so around about the time of the release of these GX battle decks you see this massive boom in the Pokemon TCG in Japan, mostly down to the quality of this product because all these people who have always wanted to try the Pokemon card game are having these brilliant decks marketed to them. And that's another point that being advertised on TV and, you know, in supermarkets and the the marketing is really fantastic. But you're seeing these massive numbers coming to the hobby shops and buying these decks and sitting down and playing them against each other. And then before you know it, over the period of a few months, these players who were brand new players are now buying all the booster packs and buying all the other the strategy decks and the special edition boxes. And before you know it, everything's sold out. And, you know, for a company as big as Pokemon, they're making a lot of product. It's not that they're running these things in short print. You know, you, you have a large amount of product, but it's all being sold to the point mm. where I'm going to the Pokemon Center in Fukuoka, but it could be Tokyo, it could be Osaka, and 
there are people queuing outside the shop, down the escalator, um, around the department store. You know, you have over a thousand people in this small Pokemon Center all queuing up for the same product on release day, wow. first thing in the morning. Uh, and, you know, they're giving you a UV stamp on your hand so you don't buy two boxes because <laughs> that's how fast they're selling out. And, you know, because they become so limited, then you have people wanting to buy more and more because you can resell them. So then the reseller market blows up and you have people on it's called Merukari. It's like, you know, eBay or Amazon and things like that, you know, reselling this product on release day for almost twice the retail price because you mm. can't get your hands on it. So you asked me about the impact of these these structure decks. Well, over the period of three months, you went from, you know, a healthy, active competitive scene to, you know, hobby shops being full. You can barely register for tournaments and you can barely get your hands on the product at retail price because everything's sold out on release day. Hmm. Do you think there's also been a, a an impact in terms of sort of social media as well? Like has, has, the, has the internet played a, a part in this as well, would you say? Yeah. Twitter is the, the dominant social media network in Japan and Japanese Pokemon Twitter is a wonderful, wonderful place. <laughs> uh, yes. it, it's really bizarre. The, the sense of humor, maybe I wouldn't know how to begin to translate it, but <laughs> it's, it's incredible. But you, you also have, you have big personalities on yeah. Japanese Pokemon Twitter and YouTube as well, you know, um, and some of these big personalities who weren't necessarily involved with Pokemon around the time of this massive boom got involved with Pokemon. And then that obviously is being transmitted out and to their followers. Mm. And that's creating, that's helping create more waves of popularity. And Japanese social media is very active when it comes to Pokemon and these communities, mm. you know, you, a lot of people sharing strategies online, posting their results from tournaments and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. It's, yeah, there's there's a big social media impact on the game. So we've gone from what the game is to why it's blowing up so much in Japan, and maybe some of the differences between the accessibility and the product itself. But then you've done all that, and that's then led to you wanting to really go onto a higher level of competitive play. So one of the things that you would do even over here would be go to say your regional events where you know you go and compete with other people from the area who consider themselves you know competitive and high-end players and that then allows you to go on to bigger and better things such as like uh international tournaments like world championship tournaments or your countrywide tournaments and things like that what is that like in japan versus what you would find traditionally over here in the uk so the competitive scene for Pokemon, I should say, ahead of time, is based on a point system. So you can go to your local game shop and enter these small tournaments, you know, 12 to 15 to 20 people, and take part in a tournament, and maybe that can net you, depending on the number of attendees, 8 to 10 to 12 championship points. And then it goes one step above to something called the City League, where, you know, across all of the big cities in Japan you have these 100, 150, 200 player tournaments where if you end up managing to win one of these tournaments or come in the top four, top eight, you're looking between 50 to 100 championship points. And then finally, you have the, the Champions League, uh, which is these massive regional championships usually taking place in somewhere like Tokyo or Osaka. And you have hundreds and hundreds, maybe over a 1,000, sometimes 1,500 people entering these tournaments 
where first place can net you 400 championship points. Coming in the top eight will net you between 100 to four, uh, to 300 championship points. And what you can do with these championship points is you can qualify for the world championships, which always takes place in America. And the, the top rated players from each of the major regions, so you have Europe, North America, uh, South America, Australia, and Oceania, and then Japan. And the top ranked players from each of these regions will get together at this massive event over in America or sometimes Canada and duke it out to see who the world champion is. And what I find really interesting is that's actually a really similar setup to what Marty discussed in their episode with regarding the Pokemon video game. Uh, very, mm. very similar uh, setup, which I think is really cool that they're, they're keeping that sort of like competitive ranking system almost the same across their, their brand as a whole rather than just the individual game, which is quite cool. Well, yeah. actually, the... I believe the World Championships is the same event for ah. the video game and the trading card game. But that's, that's not that's not the case in Japan though. These the Champions League for the trading card game is just the trading card game. I haven't seen the video game tournaments taking place in the same event halls hmm. uh, around me when hmm. I've been taking place interesting. in these tournaments. Yeah, no, that is interesting because it's definitely combined here. I guess that's a you know, just frankly, a popularity and a density thing um, where you probably need to combine it. Mm. But I guess that also does change the 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 community and the culture a little bit to have them joined up like that. And so from my experience as well, playing competitive card games on from for Yu-Gi-Oh, when you would go to these sort of events, they're not always the most efficiently run, uh, I would say. But you were telling me some of the stories about like your experiences doing these regional events in Japan, uh, going with a team of people uh, and sort of working together on your decks and the events themselves being run with that in mind. Like, What are some of your experiences with that? Well, from an organizational standpoint, I think we first have to talk about actually registering for these tournaments because, as I mentioned, with the massive boom in Japan, you can only fit so many players into these events halls, these event spaces. And even with accommodation limits set at something like 1,500, I found that I was unable to register for the Champions League the, both the first and second time I, I went on the first registration window. So, for example, the first registration window for the Champions League in Tokyo was sold out within 15 minutes. And I think two to three weeks later, they offered a smaller window. So the first window would be 1,200 places. And then the second window with just 300 places. And the second window was also sold out in four minutes. Wow. So... You have people, and, and these registrations are usually taking place at 5 p.m. on a weekday. So if you bear in mind, a lot of these players are university students, but a lot of them are also working people, just members of the population. So you have, yeah. you have all these people on their phones on the way back from work or something, <laughs> frantically trying to register for these events, and you're having hundreds, if not thousands, of places taken in in a matter of minutes wow so what are these events like when you go to like a regionals event um in japan say you do get one you do get a place <laughs> you get a place at that at that uh, at those tokyo regionals what are, what are they like yeah so if you manage to get there i, <laughs> I can't say enough good things about them yeah. from an organizational standpoint and also to compare to to some of the uk events because i have been to the uk regional championships as well but over in Japan, what you immediately see is 
people of all ages. Um, you've got elementary school children. You've got middle school, high school, college. You've got parents. You know, you've got. I've seen grandparents duking it out <laughs> as well. You've got just people from absolutely all walks of life decked out in the Pokemon gear, and first thing in the morning queuing up for. It's no exaggeration to say at least a kilometer to get in. And when they open the doors, you know, you file into this massive hall and you're greeted with like absolutely enormous cards like around the hall and in the middle of the hall. So, you know, maybe 20, 30 feet tall, you know, true to the art of the cards, like just real print cards, but just these massive, massive figures in the middle of the room. So maybe the the head Pokemon from the the latest set or something like that will be greeting you in the middle of these events halls and just seeing you know Pokemon goods and posters and wall banners all over the place. You walk into this massive vast arena and you'll have art and uh, these art booths where you have the artists who design the cards ready to sign the the cards that they've designed. And kind of like a showcase of uh, the cards that each artist has done from all different sets from the past and present. You'll have like video games for children. So they're kind of like arcade style games, uh, which vary from things like booths where you can play Pokken to these kind of like almost like whack-a-mole where you, designed, you know, for young children where they can basically just mash this button and on the screen, the Pokemon of choice will be like dealing out some kind of damage to another Pokemon. <laughs> And then you've got, you know, rows upon rows upon rows of tables for the the main event of the the trading card game tournament. You have a separate space with just as many tables for all these side events where you have have team battles going on. You have just side event tournaments. So, you know, maybe up to 50 people, 64 people usually um, for people who either didn't make the registration for the main event or people who you know, had a bit of a bad day and dropped out early, they can go directly into these massive side events and compete for, you know, similar prizes, sometimes championship points, sometimes event points. So when you enter the the tournament, you get a pamphlet with kind of like a course and a stamp book where you can accumulate (laughs) points. So you get one point for turning up, you get one point for entering the main tournament and then you get a point for a, a variety of other things some of them um one of one of the events i've been to you you received a point for giving a certain pokemon themed greeting to a member of staff <laughs> so you had to say pokenchiwa which is <laughs> konnichiwa and pokemon mixed together i guess oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and if, if you tell one of the officials pokenchiwa you got a stamp and you actually get a special edition card of the pokemon shaman which was incredible <laughs> uh, it's really interesting like just there's so much like stuff around like quality of of event stuff around the edges like it's turns it into so much more of a like festival mm. or an event compared to just, you know, it being just about competing. And I think that that's really great. It shows a a level of respect and interest in the community, right? And in your fans to to really sort of put on events that are in that kind of style and sort of pushing the boat out of like, what can we do here to really kind of like show that, you know, we know that this is all about the the people playing and so we need to make this something that people want to turn up at and stuff like that which is really awesome because these could just turn into pure 
advertising events, which is often what these kind of competitive events are for. Like they are to promote the actual sale of the product itself. But it, they are using it as that, obviously, but it is also almost a celebration of the brand and giving back to all these players who, who want to come out and celebrate their love for this this brilliant franchise. Yeah, that's right. And there's, you know, a, a kind of a cliched phrase where you can say, you know, these events are fun for all the family, but it really does feel like there's something for everyone at these events. Mm. Um, if you drop out of the main event, as I've said, there's a whole host of side events going on. Uh, there's usually, there's an MC there, at least for the past three Champions Leagues that I've been to, it's been the same guy and he's mic'd up with the PA system and he reads out all the rules at the start. And then as the day progresses, he goes around and there's another form of Japanese media. I think it's called Nico Nico, where it's like a live video feed and people can write their comments and it comes up at the bottom. <laughs> kind of like, I think like Instagram live and things like that. Yeah. And that's live streamed out. So he's walk- the MC is walking around the event and he'll interview players whether that be people who are coming to their first event, whether that be some of the really big names in the competitive scene, some of the ex-world champion and that the highest ranked players in all of Japan, you know, they turn up to these Champions Leagues to compete for the the maximum amount of championship points. So they'll be turning up on these like on-the-spot interviews and giving their thoughts on the event, on their deck, on how things are going. And it's all very good-natured and it's a lot of fun. Mm. I, I'm just such a shame that we haven't got time to talk about even more Pokemon-related things, quite honestly, because I feel like we could go on for a, another half an hour about your experiences <laughs> in Japan. And it, it honestly, Absolutely. it makes me want to play the game talking about it too. Like, I've never yeah, been, yeah. like, the biggest fan of the Pokemon, like, brand as a whole, but just talking about that makes me want to go and get into the competitive card game scene just to experience this wonderful festival of, of Pokemon, almost. Yeah. <laughs> you have to go to Japan, though. What a shame! <laughs> Isn't that such a downside? Even better, even better. Really grateful for you giving us your your input and your experiences with all of the things surrounding both the card game, the competitive side of things, but also just the your information gleaned from being there. And is there anything that mm. we didn't cover that maybe the listener is interested in? I'm sure you'd be happy to answer some questions in future as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I can say for myself, I'm barely scratching the surface of everything that. I've managed to get into over there with the Pokemon trading card game. You know, the variety of people that I've met from people who walked up to me, you know, in the hobby shops and asked me, challenged me to <laughs> to a fight, you know, almost like like in the video games, you know, our eyes have met, so we have to battle. Um, and some music comes, <laughs> plays inexplicably. Exactly, little, yeah. Dilly. Little exclamation mark appears above his head. And, yeah, yeah, above I, your you head. Know, I've, met, I've made so many friends that, you know, that some of the characters that I've come across, like I said, I've been, I'm very good friends with some of the highest ranked players in Japan who have taught me so much about the game. I've got, I've mm-hmm. made friends on the more casual level in the Pokemon scene. And uh, there's someone called Mama-san, who is uh, one of the one of the kids in the local scene's mother. And I've come across her at some of the, the bigger local tournaments, you know, the 50 to 100 mm. player tournaments. And she's beat me three times in a row. <laughs> and every time we're paired together, she gives me that knowing smile because she knows she's about to lay the smack down. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm hoping, I'm going to go back to Japan in a couple of weeks and I'm hoping that I can finally beat Mama-san because, you know, I'm just being absolutely taken down by this innocent little Amazing. girl's mother who's really fantastic at the game i must say shout out to mama son i don't think any other competitive (laughs) game is that possible (laughs) that i mean imagine that is when like Yu Gi Oh or magic 
Oh yeah, it's not going to happen. It's, it's is never it? going to happen, though. It's people from all walks of life having a great time, and uh, you know, I can't say enough about the community, how welcoming they've been, how positive an experience it's been. You know, it's just been so much fun. Well, if that wasn't a gleaming enough recommendation to go and try the Pokemon trading card game wherever you are in the world, be it in Japan or or in North America or Europe, then I don't know what is absolutely, and it makes me want to go and play. And for those that for those that do, what's the best way, Tom, for people to sort of get started? Is there a good online resource for sort of like getting started in terms of finding events or um, like strategies or what to buy or anything like that? Yeah, um, I think if you go through the official channels, the Pokemon Trading Card Game, they have an event locator on their website, so you'll be able to find the nearest events to you. There's an online. Uh, there is software for it. There is the the Pokemon trading card game online. It's free to play. So anyone who's interested in how the game works, but maybe can't get to events, you know, if you search for that, it's you know free to download, okay. free to play, and it's a That's lot cool. of fun. It takes a it takes a bit of time to accumulate the cards, but it introduces you to the game step by step, and it's very easy to get into. Nice. But otherwise, you know, especially if you're in a location where it's possible, just go to your nearest hobby shop. Your nearest game shop and you know ask the person behind the desk and i'm sure they'll be very welcoming to you and if you happen to be in japan you can do the same thing or you can head to a pokemon center and you'll see that they're almost always running little events uh beginners events there's always some kind of campaign going on so yeah on online through the official channels or just walk into your nearest hobby shop and say you want to play some pokemon amazing well tom thank you again for joining us and talking to us about your experiences thank you for having me yeah no you're very welcome and if anyone has any any questions you can email you can send us an email um with show at octal.fm and if we can't answer it which we probably won't be able to (laughs) then we'll pass it on to tom you can also come and grab us on twitter um we're at octal.fm on twitter and you can come and find us on facebook as well uh, facebook.com forward slash octal.fm I'm sure we're going to eat you on another episode in future with all this knowledge. I'm sure. Maybe give us a follow-up on uh, your experiences in the spring of 2019's competitive scene. That's right. I'll be back to tell you all about it when I'm the Pokemon Master. See, there you go. You heard it first. Octal FM hot take. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. But we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Octal FM with our special guest, Tom. Uh, I've been Sephron. And I've been Gelada. And I've been Tom. And catch us again through episode very, very soon. Very, very soon. Are we recording another yeah. one tomorrow? <laughs> well, no, we're recording one right now. <laughs> ah, tasty bear. I'll be opening my bottle and having a squeak, 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 squeak. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to drink like. Wow. Every time <laughs> I take a drink. So professional. <laughs> Much profession. And would he? Yeah. <laughs> blip, blip. <laughs> and one of the things that makes that really possible as well, other than you, the yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to say other than the ubiquity. Mouthful. Oh, I am getting. Oh, we can't say that on on Octopus. It's a family show. <laughs> bleep that out. <laughs> <laughs>